Very, very good. And it's a good lesson for all of us. <clears throat> Keep in mind that apart from Christ, we are empty. And not really fulfilling the function for which we were created. A flashlight without a battery is not much good. <laughs> it doesn't provide much light to anybody. But once the battery's there and the power is there, then it becomes a light for all to see. And that is, that is the message of Pentecost. One of the things about Jesus is that he is a good shepherd. And the good shepherd goes in front of the sheep, and the sheep follow. And Jesus never asks us to do anything except follow him. That's the main thing. When he first chose the first disciples, that, that was the invitation that he gave, wasn't it? Follow me. And it's true even to deal with uh, the Holy Spirit as well. When Jesus was about to begin his public ministry, he went to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John said that he saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, or like a dove, coming down and resting on Jesus. And John said, when I saw that, I knew this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, one of the things that Jesus did was he took away the sins of the world in order that that same spirit in him could now be in us. And so as he's called the disciples to be witnesses, and that's what Jesus said um, when he was at Nazareth, you remember? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to announce the day of salvation, the day of deliverance and freedom and fullness. And so the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus was an anointing for that public ministry that he was about to begin. The Gospel of Luke closes with Jesus telling the disciples to wait. It, they, they had recognized and come to understand that he was risen from the dead. And the joy and the freedom and the cleansing and the fullness that that meant. Um, their sins were forgiven because Jesus had risen from the dead and he had paid the price for them. And he said, the whole point of this, though, is that you will be my witnesses. But you need to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the way the Gospel of Luke closes. The book of Acts opens with that same thing. Jesus instructing the disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Now, we know, because um, of our church history and everything, that... Jesus ascended into heaven, and it was 10 days later that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, another uh, important Jewish festival. But the early disciples didn't have a timeline. They kept asking Jesus about when he was going to, to restore the kingdom to Israel, and they kept asking, you know, because time was important to them. Is it now, or do we, how long do we have to wait? Or, and Jesus kept telling you, no, no. Um, it's not time for that yet, but it is time for something else. And you need to wait until God gives you that. And he didn't tell them how long. And oftentimes, that's the hardest part about waiting, isn't it? If you don't know how, how long. <clears throat> if a person is suffering, and they know that at the end of two weeks, the suffering will be over, and you'll, you'll be okay, even though... The pain is still there. You have hope that there is an end in sight. And it's going to 
going to be removed from you and you'll be free. And it helps um, make the suffering a little more bearable because you have a time frame that you can look at. But these disciples, they didn't have a time frame at all. Um, so they're waiting. And they've waited a week, seven days, uh, waiting upon God to do what he has promised. Nothing. Nothing. And on that Pentecost day, when they woke up in the morning, it was a day just like the last nine days had been. Nothing was different. Nothing. Uh, but it was that morning that God began to pour out His Spirit upon them. Now, one of the things the book of Acts says is that He's writing this to a man called Theophilus. Theophilus, they're not sure whether that is actually a historical figure or just um, a literary figure. But the name means seeker after God. And so in a sense, both Luke and Acts are written to Theophilus. So in a sense, you could say that both of these books are written to anyone who has a genuine hunger for God. Because these books are written to help us understand that God himself has come down to us in the person of his son. And so that's the point that he's making about Theophilus. And he says, I began uh, in my former book, that would be Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And so he's got the order right. He said, I'm telling you what Jesus began to do and teach. And if we look at the, in the scriptures, as we study the gospels, we'll find that most of the time, um, the miracles that Jesus performed occurred before the teaching. Jesus did, and then he explained what he did and what it meant. And so he heals a man who's been... Um, paralyzed and he tells him in the process of the healing your sins are forgiven you and that becomes the basis of the teaching that follows it's a revelation of who he is he lives it first and then he teaches it and that's the way that it's supposed to be with us as well so what's going to happen here on the day of Pentecost is Jesus has told these disciples to wait until they begin to live that fullness themselves and then immediately they are sent out to proclaim. What you do becomes what you teach. And oftentimes in the church we get it backwards. We do the teaching and we may or may not get around to the doing. <laughs> but the point is the powerful witness comes because they're seeing it first. And then the proclamation has meaning and power because it's being demonstrated in the lives of the people doing the teaching. And so God calls us to live out, as Paul writes to the Philippian church, live out your salvation with fear and trembling. God's working in you, both to will and to accomplish his good will. But it comes in the living it out. Salvation is not something that happens when we die. It's something that we enter into because of the relationship with Christ. And we live that out on a daily basis. Because Christ lives within us, we can do these things.
And so that's what he's called us to do and to be. So on the day of Pentecost, because, as Luke was telling us, um, it's one of the Jewish holy days, uh, there was three or four of them that, um, if at all possible, all Jewish men were required to be in Jerusalem. And so on the day of Pentecost, as we read in chapter 2, there were devout men, God-fearing, faithful Jews and Jewish converts, Gentiles who had been converted to Judaism, um, were in Jerusalem that day. And in chapter 2, he lists about 16 countries, 16. And that's just a partial list. But he lists 16 of them here in Acts chapter 2 each with their own language, each with their own culture and customs and backgrounds, bound together by their faith in God. And these men, in obedience and acting out of that faith, were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And so this was a good group, a good group, uh, to receive this kind of a message. So I want us to look just a minute at... um, what was going on? He, he talks about, um, in verse 5, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And again, he lists about 16 of them. But what took place on that day, there were men and women in the upper room. Acts chapter 1 says that they, the group of disciples numbered about 120 men and women. And the indication is that... Um, most of them were probably present on the day of Pentecost because the prophecy being fulfilled, the prophecy which Peter is going to quote in his sermon, talks about the Holy Spirit being poured about, out on all flesh and he specifically mentions two or three times both men and women, sons and daughters, and they will all prophesy. Prophesy means you're, go- you're going to proclaim the word of God. So when we witness, it is a form of prophesying in the sense that God's word is being proclaimed. And that's going to be fulfilled on this first day of Pentecost. So it says, when, they were, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Now there's three, three things I want to, to us to just keep in mind as we were talking this morning. The first is the Holy Spirit. The second is the community that comes about because of that. And the third is the witness. So the Holy Spirit, community, and witness, and the three are inseparable. You cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the community of the saints or from the witness that's being given. They all hold together. And I want to show you, uh, share with you here. Suddenly, they're all together in, a, in one place. Um, that's, they already had a, a form of community right here. Um, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now they're inside, and this, the room is filled with this sound, literally, of a violent rushing wind, a gale. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now the word for the cloven tongues of fire is exactly the same word as the tongues that they began to speak in. It's the same word. Because it's the Holy Spirit who is testifying 
in and through them. It's his presence. Now, it's going to say later on that all of these people were there. And when the Holy Spirit filled these people, um, I think what's going on in their heart is, I've got to tell somebody. I've got to tell some. I have to tell somebody what Jesus has done for me. I've got to tell somebody. And they got up, and these men and women who had been so fearful were transformed. And they went forth with boldness and power and a very, very effective witness. And they just burst out of that room, 120 people in the midst of this, thousands of people there crammed into this uh, city, narrow streets crammed with hundreds of people, and here they come. And it's like a, a wave crashing on a beach, you know, it's just boom, here they are. And they're all speaking and everything. And uh, when Joanna and I were in South Africa, um, we ministered in a school, a seminary. They had 11 different countries represented. And just in South Africa, where we lived, just in South Africa, there were 11 official recognized languages in that one country. So when we get together for chapel, we had all these dialects and all these languages and stuff. And, and one morning, uh, they put me in charge of chapel, which they didn't do very often. <laughs> I had everybody stand up and I said, we're all going to pray. We're all going to pray out loud. Each of us is going to pray in his or her native language. And we're going to do it all together at once. And so we did that. It was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, all these languages going up. Some of them you could understand. Most of them you couldn't. But they were all going up. And I'm thinking that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. It was orderly. It was controlled because these people were praying and addressing God and yet at the same time it was chaos <laughs> because all of these languages ascending up to heaven at the same time and so when the crowd gathered around because they want to see what's going on here uh, all these men and women come running and some of them are hearing and understanding some of them are just seeing hearing the confusion at a distance and some of them are saying oh, these people are just drunk and Peter said no wait a minute uh, you don't understand what's going on but the amazing thing was, it said, after listing those 16 nations, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The same word used for the tongues of fire, the same word for the speaking in tongues that the disciples were, were giving, now they're hearing in those same tongues because it's the Holy Spirit bearing witness to God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, isn't it? He takes of what belongs to Jesus, as he told the disciples in the Gospel of John, and I will make it known to you. And the Holy Spirit always bears witness. That's why the Holy Spirit came on Jesus before he began his public ministry, to prepare him for the public witness of who he was and what he said. And now the Holy Spirit is coming upon the disciples, both men and women, filling them anew and afresh for the purpose of anointing them to carry on that same ministry that God anointed his son for, for, to preach good news to the poor, uh, the deliverance and freedom and salvation. It's the same passage in Isaiah is now being fulfilled to those who were following Jesus because it's the same spirit. It's the same God. It's the same son being lifted up and glorified and they're all hearing the wonders of God in their own native language. 
awesome. If you've ever been in a foreign country where nobody knows your language and you don't know their language, to hear somebody speaking your native language gets your attention. So all of these people are saying, and now here's the Holy Spirit again. They're asking the right questions. What does this mean? Because God is beginning to gather together his community. He's beginning to take this small group of believers and he's expanding it and he's creating a new people of God. A new people that are not going to be bound by the restrictions of Judaism anymore or the failures of Judaism in the past. Now it's going to be much more inclusive, much more broad in scope, and he's going to invite everyone to come. And that's why the Holy Spirit's being poured out on all flesh, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, everybody. So Peter, in his sermon... He's going to tell them about three times to listen. He's wanting them to hear. He's wanting them to understand. So he starts off. Peter stands up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then he took a scripture that they were all familiar with, that all good Jews know. He began with the book of Joel, the prophet. And he says, this is not, this is not some drunken thing that you're, that's taking place here. These men are not crazy. These women are not acting out of order. This is what is taking place here. God is fulfilling his prophecy today. Not in the future. Not in the past. Today. He's fulfilling his prophecy here among us all today. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he does. He takes the, the teachings and the life of Christ and us as Christian believers, when we come together, Holy Spirit is present. He's ministering his word. He's changing us, not in the future, but right now. And those hungers and the desires of our heart to know him and to walk closer with him, he is meeting those as we come into his presence, transforming us from within, changing our motives, uh, cleansing us, purging us, equipping us, to do what he's called us to do, to be what he's called us to be, the people of God. So he's pouring out his spirit, and they're all going to prophesy, which is what these guys were doing. And then he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says it again. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth a man that God approved in your presence by all these signs and wonders, these miracles, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Jesus had been a very public figure, and his execution, his death on the cross, was an exceedingly public thing. And anybody there would have known about it at the time, and people coming in from outside, they would still be talking about it and still be... Um, because people hear, and they're going to talk, and they're going to ask questions, and they're going to talk about all these things that are going on. 
And so he says, as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, that's the Gentiles, those wicked people over there, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And he talks about David's prophecy in the book of Psalms. And he says, we know that David was not the fulfillment of that because his died in his tombs right over there. He was talking about the Messiah. And this Messiah is Jesus who we're proclaiming to you. So he says, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of that event. And that's what we're wanting to say to you today. That's a very clear witness. So he says, exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And so again, he quotes David from the Psalms. And he says for the third time, Therefore, verse 36, Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So that's a pretty clear, straightforward witness. John the Baptist said that Jesus was going to come and he was going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's what took place on the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit, the chief witness, is still pouring out his Spirit upon these men and women on the day of Pentecost. And he's doing his work. So they asked the first question, what does this mean? And now they're asking the second important question. They've asked several others, but these, these are the two most important. The second question, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. So the Word of God, the writer of Hebrews tells us, is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces the heart and soul of man. Gets to the very heart and deals with the issues that are most critical and essential for us. And that's what Holy Spirit was doing that day. They were pierced to the heart when they heard these words. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, here's the good question, Brothers, what shall we do? Now that we understand who he, he is and what we've done, what shall we do? Is there any hope? For us? That's a good question. All of us who are not walking with Christ, all of us are guilty of the blood of Christ. All of us. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, that's you and me. God has made him both Lord and Christ. That's true because Jesus died for your sins and my sins. And so in that sense, we crucified him because there's no salvation for you or me apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we can include ourselves here in this group. And if we haven't before, we need to be asking this question. 
What shall we do? And Peter tells them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He says, this is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the good news. It's for you. It's for me. And if we come in repentance, humbly seeking after him, he's promised to meet us here and to change us and to wash away our sins and to fill us with his Holy Spirit. It's your promise. It's for you and for me and for our children, for our grandchildren and however many other generations we want to go. It's an open-ended promise because that's God's heart and his will for every one of us. And so the Holy Spirit, being the chief witness, witnessing through these men and women now who have been filled with his presence, uh, become a very powerful and effective tool. In the opening chapters of Genesis, you all are familiar with Babel, the glory of man, as they were building this great tower, the glory of man. And the glory of man always ends in confusion and turmoil and failure. And it says there, if you read the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, God confounded their tongue. Same word used in Luke. Same word used in the book of Acts. Tongues of fire, speaking in other tongues, hearing in those same tongues. And he's taking these groups of people, uh, devout men from every nation, God-fearing people from every nation under heaven, all this conglomerate of people, all these different tongues represented. And now, using that confused languages, he's going to take those and bring them back together and make a unified, solid people of God out of them again. So that part of the curse is being lifted by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we can look around here in the room today. Um, if we go back to our ethnic roots, our genealogies, how many countries do you think would be represented here today? A lot. Most of us have three or four or more uh, just within our own self. And we have different backgrounds, different economic groups, uh, different genders, just like at Babel, just like on Pentecost in Jerusalem. And yet here we are together, uh, looking at one another as the body of Christ, looking at one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the thing that's bringing us together and the, the process is, that's an ongoing thing among us, God changing us, transforming us, bringing us together as a people um, in the community because it's that community that is the witness. It's us together. So in the community, the Holy Spirit works through the gifts of the Spirit, through the fruit of the Spirit, through His presence of filling us and working in us and through us. So it's in the community that we begin to discover 
what it means to be the people of God. And it's in the community that we rub shoulders and knock all the rough edges off of one another. It's through those things that we begin to, to help one another and, and encourage one another. It's in the community because it's a people of God that God is about creating. And so the ultimate goal of this we find in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. He talks about Jesus humbling himself and being obedient even to death on the cross. And then verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, it's the same word used in the book of Acts, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The day of Pentecost was the down payment of that fulfillment. Every knee shall bow. And God has blessed us with the opportunity not only to experience it for ourselves, but then be participators in making this true in our wider community. At the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. That's an evidence that the Holy Spirit is in us because he proclaims what he always proclaims, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's come to do. Through the gifts of the Spirit, through the fruit of the Spirit, changing us, shaping us into the image of Christ that we might be sons and daughters of God. He's going to take these same people uh, in the book of Acts here, the same group that's coming together. The result of the book of Acts on that first day, as you all know, I'll remind you anyway, about 3,000 were added to their number that one day. And then it goes on saying that that continued. And God began to add to their number daily on a daily basis, others were coming in, those who were being saved, in the process of having their lives changed and transformed, like us. And so God is going to take the same group of people, the same confused, self-centered mess at Babylon, and he's going to transform them. And now these people who were pierced to the heart, received, repented, were filled and Later on, in Acts chapter 8, they had been in Jerusalem for quite a while now, and they hadn't gone out. But the command was, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the worlds. Well, that, at this point, they hadn't gone out. Then the persecution started, and people started dying. And it says... In Acts chapter 8, after they had stoned Stephen with Saul, who was later to become Paul, standing there holding the coats, approving of his, of his death, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The great commission was beginning to be fulfilled through these people. And they were extruded, thrust out, not willingly even, but they went out and 
Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Holy Spirit actively witnessing through his people. Expanding the people of God to include non-Jews. Now they're going to Samaria. And then later on, they're going to be uh, Peter leading the way with Cornelius, a Roman centurion, to Gentiles, incorporating them in. The Philippian, um, uh, Philip helping um, the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, He's not Jewish. Incorporating, expanding the community of the people of God. And the good news of the kingdom. So the persecution and the scattering of the people was they said, okay, this flaming group of radicals here, we're going to pick them up and we're going to persecute them and we're going to scatter them and it will die out. But it was God, not men. It was the Holy Spirit, not people's fears. And everywhere they went, They preached the word, and what you ended up with was a wildfire that swept through the Roman Empire that was uncontrollable and unstoppable. God working through his people. Persecution, yeah. Hardship, sacrifice, death. And the fire begins to burn and rages, and it's still burning. We are here this morning because of that fire that was lit on the day of Pentecost. And we are all participating in the continuation of the story began in the book of Acts. And that's what he's called us to be. So a small beginning, 12 men to begin with, 120 men and women in the upper room, 3,000 added to that on that one day and then the explosion. And that flame has been burning around the world since. And there are areas where it's not been yet and torchbearers are going in there. So we become, like Luke's object lesson this morning, we become the flashlights. Holy Spirit is the battery. What he puts in us is the life of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful today for the tremendous gift of your Son and through Him of your Spirit. Meeting us where we are in all of our sins and failures, all of our lostness and self-centeredness, all of our addictions and commitments to the flesh, and through the power of your Holy Spirit applying the blood of Christ to our hearts and lives, you transform us. Paul says in increasing ways, day by day, more and more into the image of Christ. Father, I pray that you would grant that that would be true in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.